This episode is brought to you by North Texas Honda Dealers. North Texas Honda Dealers, they're here to help. He has time, launches it to the end zone. Touchdown, Terrence Williams. Goes to the right side for Crabtree. It's caught. He put it on. He's up the right sideline. He's got to go. He's tackled. Sam Houston wins it. The Bearcats capture their first FCS championship. Hello and welcome to Republican Football. I'm your host, Ishmael Johnson, the college editor here at TexasFootball.com. Dave Campbell's Texas Football. Sitting as always, beautiful Austin, Texas, Mike Craven, our senior college editor, writer, I should say. Sorry. Mike, how you doing, man? Doing pretty good. How are y'all? I'm doing pretty fresh, man. I'm doing pretty good. It's still burning the midnight oil, uh, taking uh, taking a lot of caffeine in, uh, you know, trying to get this magazine done. Uh, Craven's, Craven's draft of his cover stories in. So there you go. <laughs> There we go. So Craven's getting, he's, he's seeing the light every single day, seeing close 30 pounds lighter. <laughs> exactly. And uh, everyone's favorite Mal Pal, who is muted right now because she is working on something because she never stops working. So I'm not uh, muted right now, but I'm about to be <laughs> for like <laughs> two seconds. Go. And then I'm, <laughs> and as then we are recording, she's, yeah, as we are recording, she is still working on stuff. So <laughs> that is Mallory Hartley for everybody. That's um, all of our jobs around here is that we just a, don't a good stop point. working. Yeah. working <laughs> I think everybody can testify to that. <laughs> working while we're working. So um, this episode, we're basically going to do just like a, a nice hot seat breakdown because, you know, I don't know what the equivalent of college football's Black Monday is because obviously in the NFL after the final week, you get that the Sunday and then you get the Black Monday where everybody, you know, Schefter drops all the names. I don't know. It's kind of like college football is different. It could happen in October, <laughs> November. It could happen after a rivalry game, whatever. So um so we don't know exactly when that'll be, when some of these, if any of these uh, things go down, but Craven put out a piece today. It's kind of just like an update or a heat check or whatever, just the hot seat meter for 2023, because right now is a good indication. Before we start playing any games, right, we're still taking last year into context. We're still taking, you know, expectations for this year. Recruiting's done, spring's done, transfer portal, at least people can't enter the transfer portal now unless you're a grad transfer. So rosters are starting to get set. Where are we looking at as far as guys who need a big year, guys who maybe they may be a year away from needing a big year, but regardless, a nice little checkup of where we are in college football. And and for I mean, me, it's it's yeah, the, what, the timing for me is that I just went to all of these places. Good point. Yeah. So you get like an actual like on the boots on the ground vibes check. You know, you start, you talk to the SIDs, you talk to people around the program, you kind of are inside the building, you talk to the players, you talk to a couple coordinators, you talk to the head coach and you walk out of there, uh, right or wrong, because it's anecdotes is one day, but you kind of walk out of there with with what you said earlier, a heat check on where the program kind of sits. Yeah. So let's. First of all, go check out, you know, go check out the piece for his full breakdown and everything, why, things like that. Uh, we're just going to kind of go off of this, but I want to start, I mean, let's start with the easy one, right? Uh, you have two at the top, but I want to start with the easy one, <laughs> the headline one up there, where if you had to pick one coach in the state, probably this one, start with Dana Holgerson in Houston. Um, now, we talked about how maybe 
he feels a little too confident maybe maybe he feels a little confident in the fact that his contract is very well negotiated um he signed an extension it's gonna it would cost houston a lot but as as we love the word around here the vibes around houston are not great right now even if you take the alton mccaskill thing put that over there right that's a weird circumstance another program potentially involved not really has anything to do with dana holgerson Regardless of that, there were questions before that happened. There were uh, uh, kind of uncertainties around that. Now, what, uh, I guess to, to kind of, I agree with this, by the way, I'm not trying to disagree with this, but just to, for the sake of discussion, why, if I'm Dana Holger, if, if, I'm, if I'm a Houston fan, why should I feel that his contract is not a hurdle they can't get over? Well, because if you're going to step up to the plate and play Big 12 football, then this is what you've signed up for. And and we can talk about some issues at Houston behind the scenes with NIL and stuff, but they have Tillman for T. They can afford it. Mm -hmm. uh, whether he wants to afford it or not is a completely different discussion that maybe only he knows at the moment and will let the season play out and see where it gets there. Uh, but it's not that Houston can't afford it. It's, it's just a matter of if they will or not. Um, when you walk out of Houston, even talking to some of the coaches and play. They could go eight and four. They could go four and eight. They don't really know. You know, yeah. like there's there's so much unknown there uh, because they're counting on so much over the summer. A lot of these mm -hmm. places are just filling a couple of portal spots, using it as band-aids. Uh, but Houston's going to have to use it for some real quality caliber players that are coming in starting in June uh, that have to contribute in August and September. You look at that schedule and, it, and it's hard if he gets to eight wins he's safe if he probably gets to seven wins he, he's safe mm -hmm. um but you look at that schedule you look at ultimate caskill even you look at the quarterback position what that is you look at all of the offensive linemen who have left the program since the end of 2021 and you go how do they get to seven wins how do they yeah. get to eight wins and that was before mccaskill entered the portal and so some of holgerson being on the hot seat for me is my expectations of what houston is about to step into and that's a five and seven, six and six type season. Yeah. I think the thing, um, let me, just to break out the numbers, you know, he did, he signed a six year extension uh, last year. So yeah, around this time last year, or I guess March last year. Um, so he has five years left on his deal. I believe last year he got paid 4.2 and I believe it, it's slowly rising. So like 4.5, I believe is this year, 4.7, things like that. Um, and he has 5.5 for his staff, 5.5 million for his staff. So again, it's not, it is a, it's a well negotiated contract, like we said, um, which again, it's one of those, it's one of those deals where nobody was really coming for Daniel Holgerson, but he still managed an extension out of a pretty good season in 2021 anyway. Um, and so, yeah, so that, uh, I agree that that they have the resources to do it in a vacuum, right? Um, the question will always be whether or not Tillman Fertitta, and he's the big but donor, but obviously all of their donors and their program can can really not only again we we talk about this a lot, not only fire them but then hire the next guy, right? Yep. Theoretically, the next guy doesn't have to make four point two or whatever, but he has to make he probably has to clear three, maybe two and a half things like that, and so you're basically locking up roughly 30 million in over these next two for these next two coaches to fire Dan and then to bring in the next guy. So I, I agree that there were so much, there's so many things that are uncertain to, to take a peer behind the, the, the curtain here uh, to how we do the magazine. 
you know, when we put together the depth chart, right, a lot of it is our inside, what we see when we go to practice versus we ask them, hey, who's a guy who's, you know, things like that. We, we ask positions that we're unsure about, right? They give us some insight. A lot of the time we're fixing some things and they'll tell you, like, like you mentioned with Houston, oh, you know, this guy will get here in the summer. We expect them to contribute, whatever. But usually, usually we can have a pretty set in mind by spring, right? Usually a set uh, a depth chart. And maybe like, hey, watch, uh, don't take, you know, they'll say like, hey, don't take wide receiver to in pen right now because we got a guy coming in the summer, things like that. Not a whole team, right? <laughs> Usually it's like one or two positions. Hey, our depth at offensive line looks pretty shaky right now, but we're getting a couple guys. We'll be fine there. Not the entire team or like a majority of the two deep. And I'm saying, I'm not saying the majority of the two deep for Houston, but there are multiple positions that they're waiting for guys in the summer and they're still needing to recruit. So that's the issue that we're seeing that makes them kind of unique in this situation. Cause ideally you have your roster 80, 90% set. And the last 10 is maybe an impact freshman who's not enrolling till the fall, or like you mentioned, a transfer coming in over the summer that can maybe plug in a two deep or somewhere. We are moving to projected starters this year in the magazine to get that yeah. one out of the bag. We're not doing two deeps anymore. If we had to do a two deep for Houston, I don't know how we do it. I don't either. We would because they don't have the body, like the bodies aren't there. They haven't, they haven't picked them up yet. You we know, would so literally be putting people who just aren't going to play on the two deep. <laughs> Yeah, just because they were on the roster, he's going to be mm -hmm. the backup, whatever, yeah. but they're going to sign somebody in June that's going to be the backup, whatever. And so you don't even, you have no, there's not enough bodies to, there's probably not 44 people that play position. You know what I mean? We would get into, there's not 10 offensive linemen on scholarship to have a backup for each spot. And so, yeah. um, you know, they, you know, the spring game got canceled at Houston because of the weather, but also they weren't going to have enough the, offensive linemen. The, the quote unquote weather. Right. The, yeah. the, the, they didn't have enough offensive linemen to do a traditional one anyway. And so, right. you know, we're going into year, you know, what year five for Holgerson, you know, so this, these, these kind of feel like new coach problems and some of them are, cause you're moving into the, to the big 12. And so there are some new problems, but the roster should be more set than it is now. There shouldn't be as much roster turnover. And mm -hmm. to me, that speaks towards culture. Yes. And this feels like one of those teams that is a fragile culture. Yep. Having a rough start to the year, you lose to UTSA in week one, TCU comes to town in week three, you know, and so it, it you don't you don't get to ease into this thing and get to four and zero or five and one and then maybe rubber meets the road and you can figure that stuff out. Now they legitimately could be one and two after week three and 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 if it's a bunch of new guys on the roster, a bunch of young guys, what is that? What does that become inside? Does this thing explode? And so um, you have an athletic director in a department that has gone on record that eight wins was not enough. That's what they fired Major Applewhite for. Eight wins was not enough. Um, if he doesn't get to to nine wins this year, which we would all predict isn't going to happen, that's going to be four out of five years where they don't achieve what they fired the last guy for not achieving. And so uh, to me, that starts to illustrate that somebody's on the hot seat and that something's got to be different. And there was even rumbles of it last year. You know, like, you know, the Houston Chronicle wrote some articles about it last year, right? About mm -hmm. like, is it the hot seat happening? And he was at answering questions in October and November about it last year. And so I, I just feel like... Uh, it's an inevitable thing, not him getting fired, but those conversations are going to be inevitable uh, unless they just, you know, come out of the gates and they just storm through that early part of the the, the schedule. Yep, 
Okay, let's go to the other team, coincidentally also in Houston. Um, this one's also, this one's not as, some people may look at this and say this is a little unfair. No, but, it is unfair. Uh, yeah, and. College <laughs> athletics is unfair. That is a very good point. It's rice. Uh, so Mike Bloomgren and rice. Um, you know, on the surface, some people may say, well, hey, things look like they're going great. What do you mean? They're, they, they made a ball. Right, last JT Daniels. <laughs> yeah, they got JT Daniels. Oh, man. it's a, They got a good, they just hired John Kay. Whoa, it's crazy. John you know, Kay. like. For you, what was your justification for putting them not only just up there, but like as the number two team with on the hot seat for or number two coach, I should say, on the hot seat? Yeah, I mean, he's going into year six and he hasn't been 500 yet. I mean, this is what it is, right? Like he took over a one win program. And, and I even put in the article, Rice is the hardest job in the state. You can't convince mm -hmm. me otherwise. I think Rice is a harder job than UTEP. We'll see what Sam Houston is in a couple of years when we can really evaluate that as an FBS job. But if we just take the 12, you know, perennial FBS teams in this this state, I, I think I'd have the hardest time winning at Rice. And he has increased those win totals by one each year. There's been an incremental increase. That roster and the talent at Rice is far better. I mean, far better than what he took over. However, he was forced to make a couple changes within his staff going into this year. And as soon as you're starting to get made to, to make some changes and tweak some stuff and bring in some new blood, that's figuring out you're the next step. And so uh, they're moving into a new conference. Six and six has to be the expectation. And so if they don't get to 500, if they don't get to another bowl game, uh, I, I believe that fair or not, and I would say unfair, but fair or not, uh, it's going to be one of those things where Rice moves moves along because they're in a new conference and they feel like they need to. Yeah. What do you think from to the layman out there? You know, what do you think Rice's expectations of what they are, are, right? Do yeah. they expect, because like David Bailiff, you can look at their history and say David Bailiff was an anomaly, right? The fact that he got two 10-win seasons out of Rice is insane, right? You could just say <laughs> that that's not what they are. And, you know, I don't know, but, 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 you know, explain what do you think their, their mindset or their mentality is slash should be? I think what it is, is to make a bowl game half the time. Hmm. You know, and to be relevant and to be a contender and to not have those seasons where all of a sudden we're one and 11 and what the hell was that? And so, and that would happen to David Bailiff. You know, he won eight games, 10 games, seven games in a three year span. Then it was five, three, one. And so you could see it, you could see it, see it falling off of a cliff. And so, you know, a bad season at Rice should be four and eight, five and seven. That's what they think. Now we can argue whether that's true or not. And I think once you get a coach into year four or five and six, it shouldn't be true anymore. And, and Bloomgren himself would say if they went two and 10, that would be a disappointment and, and not acceptable standards. Uh, but if they hover around four and eight to eight and four, I feel like that's realistic, you know, for Rice. You don't want those just awful seasons. It's hard to expect the big ones. Uh, but also at the same time, you should go, you should be six and six more than once every five years. Mm -hmm. uh, and so he's moving into year six. They haven't gotten to 500 yet. It feels like that's a, you know, it doesn't feel like an unreal, unreasonable expectation for the administration to go, hey, you're in year six. We're moving into a new conference. Let's let's at least be in a bowl game and not need our APR to do it. I think the biggest detriment to Mike Bloomgren, I will say, if they hired the Mike Bloomgren of today first, I think they get a much better coach and a much better outcome than what they've had. I think the biggest mistake was him trying to make them Stanford, right? I think that's what it took him a couple of years to realize 
he can't make Stanford here in Texas, right? I, on paper, it works. Oh, look, here's another you know, academically prestigious school. They found an identity. They found kind of like recruiting um, uh, uh, anomalies, right? The, you know, everybody's recruiting one way. I'm going to recruit another. He saw David Shaw do that. And so on paper, it made sense to maybe try and do that here. Obviously, the recruiting landscape is not the same. Linemen don't, you know, offensive tackles don't have their hand in the dirt here, right? They're, a lot of them play off two legs and they're, you know, they're definitely in, in a lot more spread and things like that. And you coaching them to, 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 to play a pro style David Shaw type offense, which is what they ran basically for two years until the past or three years, probably until the past couple um, wasn't going to work. And so I wonder if, if on the record or off the record, maybe if David, if, uh, Mike Bloomgren, I should say, would be like, yeah, those first two, three years, I was kind of recruiting to something that just wasn't going to happen, you know? Yeah, the offensive line doesn't trickle down in that way. If, right. if you're six, seven, 300 and can plow forward and knock a defensive lineman off their spot and create space for a run game, you're going to a power five team. Right. Um, and in the portal age, you're getting six figures or something like that, you know? So mm -hmm. uh, there's just not many of those. You can find a hundred wide receivers. You can find a hundred... Uh, running back. They, they have one of the best wide receiver rooms in the, in the state. Right, right. I mean, you, there's just more of those guys, especially in the state. And so yeah. um, you're going to have to get smaller, more athletic offensive linemen. And that's not that's not what you do at Stanford. You're not going to just put your hand in the dirt and plow over people. Um, their offense is much better suited to what they can recruit, recruit for now. So I do think that's a fair criticism. And maybe the first couple of years, he, he tried to round, round peg a square hole um, situation. But um, they feel pretty confident and I, they get to six wins again. I, I think he's safe. And so sure. um, they just got to figure that out. But I do think as you move into a new conference, this is the same for Houston as you, this is why Seth Luttrell got fired at North Texas. As you move into a new conference, expectations change and that's fair or not. That's just what it is in college athletics. This is a billion dollar business. This is what it's going to be. Yeah. All right. Let's get off of the obvious ones who are, you know, at least if, if not coaching for their job, coaching for a, an ultimatum this season. Uh, let's get to the slightly warmer ones. The ones that are, I'm going to, I'm going to put, I'm going to put these next two categories together. Um, okay. Warm and room temperature. Uh, we'll start with the warm Jimbo and Aranda. Um, Aranda may be surprising to some people. I don't think anybody would be surprised by Jimbo. Um, he'd probably be in the first category if not for the big contract over there over his head. Um, I want to start with Aranda though, because some people may look at that and say, "Wait a minute, what's going on here? They won the Big Tall title, or what? You know what's happening? I thought all things were good." Then you look at who he won that title with in terms of roster. <laughs> you look at his lack of success in the recruiting game since what he the big decisions he's had to kind of make roster wise that haven't panned out um you know is it just basically a is it more or less are you looking for a random to prove that he's just not good with somebody else's players right now yeah, and that they can be consistent. You know, you can't go two and seven, 12 and two, six and seven. You know, that, that's just a yo-yo um, that the fan base and the administration is not, not going to handle. And then you look up the road to their main rival at TCU and they just went 12 and 0 and went to a national championship game. And now you got to recruit against them and they're winning that battle, if we're being frank. Then mm -hmm. you look out to West Texas and the, and the coach you passed over to hire Dave Aranda is, is leading Lubbock into 
you know, maybe a resurgence where we all feel like they're they're turning the corner and they're going to be a real power with the NIL collective and just what they're doing inside those buildings. And so if you're and also Baylor, your old coach is just up the road in another conference. Right. Rolls back. Hype. <laughs> right. Rolls back in Nebraska, you know, kind of, you know, doing the same thing there and that. And so you look around and you go, was it just what rule built here? that Dave Aranda had that success in 2021 uh, and he hasn't proven that he can build his own team and win it yet. And so, you know, to me, take a step back and you go two out of the three seasons, Dave Aranda has been there. They've failed to be 500 or better. Um, If they do that again in 2023, that's three out of the four years. He's on the warm seat. I don't think he'll, he'll get fired. But right. he'll go from warm to hot because 2024 will become a make it or break it year. So, you know, I don't think Dave Aranda is in a maybe he lit maybe lukewarm would have sure. been would have been the 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 more appropriate place to put him. Uh, but just what Baylor has been athletically over the last 10 years and all of their sports has created a new expectation. This isn't the Baylor I grew up around. I was born in 1985 when I was coming in of age in the 90s and stuff like Baylor stunk and they were OK with the six and six regular season, if you know, every four years you could compete for a big 12 title, you know, Art Bryles, Matt rule, they've changed, you know, even Aranda to his extent doing the 12 wins in, in 2021, the national championships in basketball, it's different mm-hmm. at Baylor. Now they expect more as a fan base, three out of four losing seasons is absolutely going to put him on the hot seat. So he can't be on the cold seat if yeah. he needs to win eight or nine games this year uh, to kind of, you know, make everybody feel good again about the direction of that Baylor program. Cause you look at the quarterback and then you look at the defense that gave 30 points or more six times last year. And there's some real question marks on what Baylor's going to be in 2023. Yeah. All right. We've talked a lot about Jimbo Fisher. So I'm just going to ask you one question. Six wins. Yes or no fire. No, he's, he's fired. Think so. Fired. Seven wins, he's fired. Uh, you think so? You he's got to go. He got to go eight and four more. Uh, if the under hits again, because this stuff is based on expectations. Yeah. And if yeah. you you enter the season ranked sixth and you don't, you end up not. You enter the season re, re, uh, the season sixth again and you win five games. Yeah. Um, you take away that COVID year and they've lost at least three SEC games every year. He's been the head coach. You know they they haven't won ten games once. Like they haven't had the ceiling to look at and go. Well, we did figure it out that one year. The only year that was true was, was COVID with Kellen yeah. Mond as quarterback, and he he hated it. You know what I mean? <laughs> right, like, right. You know, it wasn't a team he was having a lot of fun with, right? Like he wanted it to look more like a team that he wanted it to be, and and so far that's looked like a crappier and crappier team each year. And so uh, Texas is coming, Oklahoma yeah. is coming, the SEC is not getting any easier. The state's not going to get any easier to recruit with those two teams in the same conference anymore. You can't go, well, yeah, you can go to Oklahoma, but you're going to play in the Big 12. Or, yeah, you're going to go to Texas, but you're going to play in the Big 12. Now those teams can recruit those same kids, LSU too, with Brian Kelly going to a championship. A&M's getting squeezed. Mm-hmm. And they're not going to allow to go – they're not going to allow themselves to go into that first Texas game limping into that thing, wondering if – Maybe they'll fire the coach after the first time. They're going to put all their chips into that basket to try to win that first 2024 game, and they should. And if you don't like the way that your program is going, and frankly, if you don't really like the guy who's bringing it along in that program, uh, then you get rid of him. And so, I mean, I, I could have made the, the argument he's on the hot seat, uh, but that buyout is what keeps me on the warm just because I'm poor and I've never <laughs> been rich. And the idea you can imagine just like, yeah, million, yeah, yeah, paying somebody seven mil- seventy million dollars to do anything, much less to yeah. not do anything, sounds absurd. Yeah. Uh, so like that part still hangs me up there. Uh, but A and M's in a make or break year because it's not it's the ro- the roses aren't smelling any better after this season. 
I was going to say a lot of people and, and us included, you know, you can check the magazine that year. We, we were like, that was such a huge statement, right? Taking Jimbo Fisher from Florida state was like a huge statement of intent. We're trying to build a national title contender here at Annan. I think a bigger statement would be firing him and then bringing in another head coach. <laughs> like that'd be a bigger statement as far as like money swinging, right? Cause it's one thing to give this guy an insanely dumb guaranteed deal. It's another to say, yeah, keep that. We're just going to do something else. <laughs> that's that's when you're in the sec. Right? Yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> you want to be an sec program. You sit, you pay somebody a hundred million dollars to go the F away, right? <laughs> like that, that's when you're playing big boy football, Alabama would do it. Ole Miss would absolutely do it. Auburn basically just did it. You know? so, like, yeah. <laughs> so like, you know, you don't, you don't, you put yourself in this contract. Yeah. You know, y'all, you got oil money. You go use it. Like, this is what it is. You know, like, uh, you know, like these guys who have that kind of money, yeah. uh, they don't fail very often. Right. Like that's, that's why they have that kind of money. And so like, they're not going to sit around and, and let a guy who, you know, cause the other part too is like, he's not Matt Brown. He's not a guy right. who like he's like loved by those people and they've known him for a decade and he, they're like one of his like man we're gonna have to let go of Mac like I don't know yeah. that's gonna be hard like my he's he knows hired, my grandson or whatever yeah he's just a hired gun like most of that team and so it's just easier to part ways with that if it's not you know living up to expectations because it is just transactional like that yeah. that's all it is is transactional and so far Jimbo hasn't lived up to his side of that big deal. All right. Out of these next two guys, I want to give you, well, let's just, let's just put them in, uh, Steve Sarkeesian and Dana Demmel, right? These are, these are the next category down. This is not the guys that are, these are, they're not coaching for their job, right? Things are looking up if we're talking in a general sense. If anything, I would categorize these guys as like victims of their own success, maybe, uh, because they're, they're setting expectations for themselves now. Um, kind of the similar to the Kevin Sumlin thing, right? You have a great start, you have a great trajectory, and now people want to see that continue to go up and continue to want to see the the fruits of that labor. Steve Sarkeesian and Dana Dimmel. Now, Dana Dimmel is kind of in the Mike Bloomgren category of tough job, right? Yep. Very tough job, hardly a Texas job, right? I love El Paso, but it is a, you, convincing a kid from Houston to go to El Paso is a very different thing um, than Houston or Rice. It's or in Houston. a different time zone. Different, literally a different time zone. So, you know, not again, neither of these guys are coaching for their jobs, barring a one in 10 season or whatever. But Dana Demo in particular, um, you know, what is the, I don't want to say hesitancy or, or critique or whatever, but like, what is the thing to maybe watch out for as far as like his trajectory going down? Yeah, because he he built it up to a bowl team, to a seven-win team in 2021. And so you want to continue with those. He had his quarterback come back, all five offensive linemen. Uh, you know, he lost a couple really good wide receivers, but the defense was mostly back. And so it was UTEP was there, ready to go to a bowl game for in two straight seasons for the second time in program history. Mm -hmm. And they took a major step back. Week zero, with yeah. the Sun Bowl sold out, Mallory and I were there. Mm -hmm. uh, they didn't deliver. Yeah. You know, they kind of got punked at home and that, and then they lost, you know, a rivalry game against New Mexico state. And then all of that momentum they had built in 2021 left. It, it's the rice conversation earlier. Nobody is expecting these teams to go 10 and two and win conference championship games. The fan base just wants them to be fun, exciting, win a few games and go bowling. Yeah. And so once you get to year five, 
that has to be the expectation. The floor has to be the expectation. And that's going six and six. You move into this, well, you don't move into, but everybody else moves into this new conference USA. It looks different. There's not the UTSAs. There's not the North Texases there. There's not uh, UABs. You can compete more with the, take away Liberty, take away Western Kentucky and UTEP's right there with a budget with all these other teams. And so the expectations rise. No longer is it just like, hey, let's win a few games or, hey, let's break into a six wins thing. It's like, hey, we could be the third, fourth, fifth best team in this conference. Let's go become that. Uh, he does it with JUCOs. He does it in a different way that maybe not ingratiates himself with the community. They're not a bunch of El Paso kids or a bunch of New Mexico, Texas kids that you can kind of gravitate towards as a fan base. There are a bunch of JUCO guys coming in. Um, yeah. And it's not exactly uh, sexy football. Right. You know, he's he's a Bill Snyder kind of offensive line dude or whatever. And I loved him. Uh, but yeah. you got to you got to win games. You got to meet expectations. And once you get your these coaches don't last very long. So once you get into four five, six range, the fan base just wants something new, you know. And so mm -hmm. uh, I think from listening to that fan base, whether I agree with it or not, but listening to that fan base, they feel like Dana Demo may be a guy that gets you from zero wins to six wins but may not be the guy that gets you from six wins to nine wins. Yeah. And they're going to have to go figure out if he's that dude, or if they're going to try to go find somebody that takes what he's kind of built to that next step. Speaking of a uh, next step, um, Steve Sarkeesian, um, you know, he's, he's somebody who had a clear job when he was hired from, from Alabama to take over for Tom Herman, make the talent better get this team ready to play SEC style football and be ready to coach against SEC talent player, talented rosters and things like that. Bring SEC caliber talent to here to eventually not only compete in the conference, but push for playoff, push for, you know, a national title, all that stuff. So far, plan A, pretty good, right? Plan A is done pretty damn well. Roster makeup is the best it's been since probably Mac Brown's era. No. Um, as much as, as much as uh, uh, we can look back at some of those early Tom Herman classes that were highly lauded, things like that, development-wise, whatever, they didn't they didn't pan out, right? So things look to be as far as the staff, the development, the support, all that stuff seem to be trending in the right direction. Is it as simple as now just do it for Steve Sarkeesian, or there is there anything else anything else of concern? First of all, it's Texas. So you're not on the cold, unless you're like in your first year, maybe right. going into your second year, you're not, there's no such thing as a cold seat. The same thing is <laughs> true at AM as well, right? Like if, if Texas goes four and eight, he's gone. Yeah. yeah. You know, if they go five and seven, he's probably gone, right? Because the same argument's true for Texas as I made earlier for AM. The SEC's coming and yeah. Oklahoma's coming with it. AM's going to be there. LSU's going to be there. Alabama. Alabama, Georgia, all those teams are there that you're trying to compete with on the recruiting trail. Uh, you can't limp into that thing. You got to come in like ready to win those games so you don't get embarrassed that that first season. On paper, it feels like Sark has done that, has got this roster to where it's supposed to be. Mm -hmm. However, he's 13 and 12 at Texas. Yeah. He's 59 and 47 overall as a coach, right? Like he's he's never won 10 games in his coaching career. He's never won a conference title in his coaching career. I don't think he's ever played for a champion conference championship in his coaching career right like so. the most wins at washington were eight and that was his first year his last year there uh, yeah. when he got the usc job then he won nine uh, at usc and i think they were second uh, in their conference in, in that year and then he got fired the year after that right and then texas is, is his first job at, at the collegiate level since then as a head coach and so you know we don't know 
that Sark is, is capable enough to lead a team into 10, 11, 12 wins to win a conference title and to be the consistent, steady guy you need to be behind the scenes to allow your team not to get too up or too low to, to win those games. He still has those moments where he's about to beat up a dude at the Alamo Bowl, right? Where you're like, man, you know, I think he's turned a corner. I think he's got the maturity, but he just like dog cussed a dude for like not much of anything, you know? So like there's still a little bit of that concern of, is he the dude uh, who can lead a team in that way? You know, like, just like we talk about quarterbacks, coaches need to be the same, the same type. And so uh, until we can see it, you know, I'm not going to believe it. Right. And and if you're Texas and you have all these expectations going in the year where you have five offensive linemen coming back, you have a good defense, you have all the talent in the world outside of the quarterback, you have two five-star quarterbacks in the building, plus a dude who turned down six figures to stay in your squad and Malik Murphy, the only thing there is like just team management, culture, and, and you know, being able to handle adversity. If he goes eight and four or seven and five, six and six, like you can't convince me that there's not talk that those Texas boosters talk about, hey, they fired Herman after a seven and three year, right? Like it didn't take right. much in Austin. Yeah. I think looking back, you mentioned his previous jobs. That is a great point because looking at Washington, right? What happened immediately after he left? Again, he got another job. He didn't just get fired. Whatever. He got another, he got the USC job, but they hired Chris Peterson and he went on to make a playoff, right? With probably a program that did not, was not in the conversation for a playoff, right? People credited Steve Sarkeesian for building that, which again, similar here, but mm-hmm. he wasn't, it, the ceiling was believed to be something else. And Chris Peterson kind of took it to a new level. Obviously USC went the way it did extenuating circumstances but clay helton came in and won 10 and 11 games in the first two years right i don't know if anybody saw usc when steve sarkeesian had them as getting there right then right clay helton eventually got fired obviously but they were number three i think they finished his first year number three in the polls and i think they were top 10 um his second year i think they went let me see 11 and three so clay helton came in took over steve sarkeesian's project and took it another step Again, it's been years since then. Steve Sarkeesian is a new man, coached under multiple different head coaches, different situations. He's won a national title as as an OC. He may be very much be capable of that. He may just be working out some kinks as a play caller, as we've kind of talked about constantly. But like you mentioned, he's got to do it, and we got to see him do it, right? So that, yeah, I definitely see. And you mentioned it's Texas. There's always going to be at least a very much a lukewarm seat naturally. (laughs) And I think he's going to do it. Yeah. Like, I'm no, going so, to bet I'm going to bet on Texas to win the Big 12. I'm probably going to take the over and under on Texas if it's like eight and a half, even nine. I, I think they're going to go 10 and two. Sure. Uh, but I don't know that. Yeah. And history suggests that not only with Steve Sarkeesian, but Texas in general, and you combine these two forces of inconsistency. And it's hard, it's hard to be like, well, they're just going to you know do what they're supposed to do and win the games that they're supposed to win on paper. And maybe they lose to Alabama, maybe they lose to OU, and they'll play in the Big 12 title game again. And Right. But like – It's never I mean, been that. It's right? never it had, been that simple. It hadn't been that way since I was in college, and I have right. like a lot of gray hair. And so yeah. uh, it's, just, it's just a hard thing to just assume, uh, even though we think it all. It's a hard thing to assume, and they're going to have to like break that that uh, that streak or that 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 uh, perception of themselves, uh, because Texas has it and Sark has it. Yep. All right, I'm going to ask one question for this last group. These are all just the cold guys who are not in danger of losing their job. Um, everybody else, is there anyone on this list who would move up a level or two with an un unimpressive season? I think it's Rhett Lashley. 
Okay. Uh, you know, because Sonny Dykes just went to a national title game. Uh, Joey McGuire feels like he's built an, an on-way ramp there for at least one more year. Right. Uh, you know, Jeff Trailer's the mayor of San Antonio. He he can he can do whatever he wants to do. Casey Keeler's won a, won a national championship with Sam Houston, and then the other two guys are new. And so to me, that leaves Lashley. Uh, because the expectations are getting so because again this stuff is about expectations and perception mm-hmm. right like eight wins is not the same at texas as it is at rice yeah you know and, and and at smu you're watching the guy who built you up into the best you've been since the death penalty go across town uh and go to a national cha- championship game in year one you're mm-hmm. going into the uh, into an american conference schedule this year that doesn't include utsa that doesn't include tulane You've spent all of this NIL money. Everybody's behind you. You got to deliver. You got to you got to play some defense, yeah. and you got to deliver. And and Rhett Lashley is going to score points, and his reputation as an offensive play caller, nothing's going to happen. SMU is going to average thirty points a game this year. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if Preston Stone's healthy or not. They're going to do it. But it takes multiple things to to win football games and be a solid head coach. And this is Rhett's first job at that, first time at that. And he has to get better on that defensive side of the ball. They have to go win eight, nine, ten games and play for an American Conference title. Or he he won't get fired, but we'll go into the offseason talking about okay, was well, Lashley just an offensive play caller? Is SMU ever gonna you know be a contender or whatever? Uh, unless they can go out there and do it this year, because there's really no. You look around at the American Conference mm-hmm. and their schedule, and there there really is no reason SMU's not playing in the American Conference title game in December. And so sure. if they're not, uh, the person that's going to catch that heat. Right or wrong, is always going to be the head coach. And I will say the one thing that it'll take a couple years for us to see, but when Sonny Dykes got to SMU, there was nobody recruiting DFW the way SMU, the way anybody should have been recruited, UNT, TCU, SMU, right? Nobody was. Rhett Lashley is not taking over that necess- that fertile ground anymore. He has a UNT coach who's going into DFW. He has the old SMU coach who's now saying, come over to Fort Worth, right? So again, this won't be a, a this year thing. It'll be a next year, the following year thing where nobody's letting you hang billboards anymore <laughs> saying SMU is the team of Dallas. So that's going to be something, a new challenge that is a new, a new avenue, right? That's where SMU was able to kind of find their groove was like, obviously via some transfers, but, but taking advantage of some programs that didn't take advantage of the recruiting ground they were in, unless you were Texas or A&M coming in, they weren't, you know, SMU had free reign at them. Right. So I I think, or, or Oklahoma too, unless you were a power five, yeah, you were able to get a lot of these hidden gems that were staying here wanting to stay home. So again, that won't be a this year thing. That'll be more of a, class of 24 class of 25 thing is as we start to see that but that's a challenge that he's gonna have to you know do we see him leaning more towards a little bit of past roots right like he meant like with miami like he's doing now um to get some talent who knows i don't know i don't think it'll be that way i think there's plenty of talent but there is there some coaches and some staffs are they don't like to be in the rat race let's say right they like to have a little bit more of the guarantee where it's like well, I don't want to get this kid who's deciding between four schools all within 50 miles of each other. I'm just going to go get this kid over here that, you know, uh, that's going to go, that's going to come to us. So uh, that's something that he's going to have to navigate to, which is, I think, a, a unique situation for anybody in those programs. And Colorado and Deion Sanders has taken all of the heat that's a good point. away from SMU. 
That's uh, but there's, there's still a question of how a program that's turned over a roster in the way they have in 18 months. I mean, he did a smart thing and he didn't do it in four months. Right. Uh, right. You know, he resisted the urge uh, to do that in four months, but they've turned yeah. over that roster and and what was an unprecedented way until Deion Sanders uh, got hired in, in Boulder. Um, and so we're still wondering how that works, right? Like how, how does 65 transfers and, and two classes come together and win a conference? We'll see uh, if that works or if it doesn't work. And so there, there's still that. That whole idea of like, you know, when you do something different and it doesn't work, you tend to get fired in, on the hot seat quicker than if you do the same old thing normally and it doesn't work. Uh, Jake Spavadol learned that as well at Texas State, right? And so uh, Lashley's doing a different thing. He's doing it his way. I think he's doing it the right way for SMU uh, to get good. But if he goes seven and five, eight and four, and there's some questions about cohesion and a team like UTSA who did the opposite way, comes into the American and wins that, that conference title, there's going to be those questions, those talks. Yep. All right. Like I said, go check out the piece. It's over the hot seat right now. Um, give your thoughts as well. So, you know, if you disagree, agree with what we've said, what Craven thinks, uh, you know, sure. Shout us out on Twitter. We'll, we'll, we'll give a good discussion, a good hearted discussion, right? Nothing, nothing, you idiot. Dana Dimmel's not on the hot seat in any way, you know, none of that stuff, but um Actually, I don't know. You might get Craven's attention if you call him an idiot, just because he'll call you an idiot back and say, here's why yeah. you're actually an idiot. I'm smarter than you. Yeah. So Just make sure you're following me or I'll never see it. Right. Um, there you go. Yeah. I probably get cussed at a lot, but I don't I, I don't see it. So yeah. it's I have that filter turned on. It's the, the greatest thing I've ever done for my peace of mind. That's pretty good. That is a pretty good feature that Twitter's had now. Um, so anyway, that, that'll do it for us. Please subscribe, like, rate, all that stuff to Republic of Football. A uh, new episode of The Green Room should be out uh, with Bruni and Colin. I was on that episode. They actually brought on uh, John Bugs, the new uh, men's basketball transfer. Um, he talked a little bit about coming over, and I gave some thoughts on just kind of the overall uh, outside perspective on the football program. So that should be up now. Um, and, or by the time this is uploaded, I should say, and hopefully we have some big news coming. So we're really excited about the Republic of football network. Please continue to subscribe, rate review, listen to all the shows on as well. Um, yeah, that'll do it for us. And we will talk to you guys next week. Go Rutgers. <laughs>